Angie has made it easier than ever to connect with skilled professionals to get all your jobs projects done well. If you own a home, you know how much work it can take, whether it's everyday maintenance and repairs or making dream projects a reality. It can be hard just to know where to start, but now all you need to do is Angie that and find a skilled local pro who will deliver the quality and expertise you need. Angie has over 20 years of home service experience, and they've combined it with new tools to simplify the whole process. Bring them your project online or with the Angie app, answer a few questions, and Angie can handle the rest from start to finish or help you compare quotes from multiple pros and connect instantly, which means you can take care of just about any home project in just a few taps. Because when it comes to getting the most out of your home, you can do this when you Angie that. Download the free Angie mobile app today or visit Angie.com. That's A-N-G-I dot com. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. This episode is brought to you by Reese's Peanut Butter Cups. In breaking news, leading scientists worldwide are conducting experiments to determine if Reese's Peanut Butter Cups are the perfect combination of peanut butter and chocolate. However, it appears the study was inconclusive, as the scientists couldn't help but eat all the Reese's. Because when you want something sweet, you can't do better than Reese's. Find Reese's now at a store near you. It's time to turn off the lights and turn on the dark. Chilling Tales for Dark Nights. Good evening, listener. You're listening to Chilling Tales for Dark Nights. On tonight's edition, we invite you to leave behind your safe reality and descend with us into the frightening depths of the most terrifying imaginations with two audio adaptations of frightening fiction about detrimental drugs and horrified hunters. I'm your host, Steve Taylor, And tonight I'll be your guide as we traverse the dimly lit corridors of your darkest dreams. Joining us tonight to help bring to life the frightening fiction of Corpse Child and Micah Edwards are voice talents Creepy Face and Justin Reynolds. Now, get your ticket ready, take your seat in our theater of the minds, and brace yourself. It's time to... Turn off the lights and turn on the dark. 
Our first tale of the evening is written by Corpse Child and is performed by Creepy Face. In tonight's first tale, we will meet yet another man desperate for both money and physical fitness. He tries an experimental drug with a sinister side effect. Now, without further ado, I present to you Swallowing Pride. Why didn't I listen to him? I just had to keep doing it, didn't I? Alright, I'm getting as much as I can out while I still have any strength left to do so. I'd been on a fitness kick for about seven or eight months now, and to call it an addiction would be putting it lightly. I'd always struggled with self-esteem, so I decided to do something about it through fitness. Classic tale, right? Well, you know how it goes. You start telling yourself that, oh, just go to the gym and everything will be all right. Right? So then you do it. You get involved in fitness classes, see all the gurus and hear their bullshit about personal fitness and inner well-being, and you even start losing large amounts of money, diving headfirst into crippling debt, into all these dietary and workout supplements. Now, imagine all of that, and then take into account that my stupid ass had also started throwing myself at just about every goddamn opportunity to volunteer for any number of tests for some new products. And obviously, yes, this resulted in numerous hospital visits, incurring more debt, and which also eventually got to the point where my ass couldn't even go to the gym anymore because of the extensive damage many of the different chemicals and treatments had done to my body. All of this, and you know what? I still looked flabby and pathetic. So I looked like shit, felt like shit, and didn't have a shit to show for it all. About month five was the point where I was about to give up on everything. I was already without a car, having to sell it after losing my job thanks to the hospital visits. I didn't have much of anything inside my house either, and I was just barely able to pay the rent and put a little food in my mouth every night, mostly consisting of ramen and canned tuna. Top all of that off, the rent was coming due at the end of the month, and it looked like I was going to have to choose whether or not I wanted a roof or food for the next month. I was running out of shit to take to the pawn shop, too, so I wasn't going to be able to have that to bail me out much longer either. The only thing I had left of any real value was my grandfather's old Smith & Wesson, which was so old that I didn't figure it'd get me much. Might as well use it on myself at this point, right? Bad joke. I know. Though make no mistake, the thought had come up more than once. As a matter of fact, it was at one point I had the thing in my hand, fervently pondering the idea. 
Then the doorbell rang. Just caught me off guard because, naturally, penniless junkies like me didn't exactly have much in the luxury of friends, and my family were all in another state, so visitors weren't a common occurrence. I sat on my couch for a moment, not sure if maybe they just had the wrong apartment, when the doorbell started ringing repeatedly. I got up, then slugged my way over to the door. Hello? I said, answering the door. Greeting me was who I figured must have been the model for at least the past five issues of Men's Fitness, smirking at me with a pamphlet in his hand. The instant I saw that, I rolled my eyes. Great, a goddamn missionary. Hello, sir. I was just in the neighborhood and wondered if I could have a moment of your time. He kept up this absolutely plastic smirk every second he said this, too. Swear to God, if he comes at me with some Lord and Savior bullshit, I'm fucking losing it with him. He held up the pamphlet. You see, I've been doing a study on the effects of poor society conditions on the people in it when it comes to fitness. I scoffed. Another yogi. Even worse. Huh. That right? I asked, dryly. Yes, sir. See, our theory is that those in poor living conditions are far more predisposed to obesity and being out of shape than those in more. He hesitated for a moment, trying to find the right word. In a better condition? Yeah, you get it. I sighed pinching the bridge of my nose, and then said, Okay, well, look, pal, as you can plainly see, I paused and showed him the inside of my house. I don't have any money for whatever the hell it is you're selling here, so... Oh, no, sir. I apologize for the misunderstanding. I'm not here to sell anybody anything. Like I said, this is a study. Okay, then. Why the hell are you here? He chuckled. Great question. May I come in? I looked at him for a moment, honestly not sure if this was some sort of prank. I even started looking around outside to see if this asshat was being followed by some kind of film crew. I mean, not that I'd really throw a fit if this was all some sort of televised prank, but damn it, I was going to make sure I got my cut from it. He chuckled again. It's just me, sir. Get this reaction a lot? I asked. Oh, only from everyone else I've asked this too here in this neighborhood. Figures. So may we talk inside. I scoffed and stepped aside. He came in, and I saw him look at the place up and down. Uh-huh. Mm. Mm-hmm. Yep. I'm seeing everything I need. Guess you didn't need much, huh? I joked. He didn't react. So, uh, exactly what is it that you're looking for? Ah, yes. So what I want to do is ask you just a few short questions about your lifestyle. 
and then we can go from there, okay? More questions. Fan-fucking-tastic. Fire away, I replied tiredly. Right on. So, first question. How much do you make per year? This made me chuckle dryly and nod around the apartment. Take a good look around and then take into consideration that I'm in danger of losing all of this anyway. That's how much. He nodded and kept going. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. While looking around the room. And what all do you eat on a regular basis? I looked over and pulled out an old container of top ramen and held it up to him. He raised his eyebrows and asked, that it? Pretty much, I mean, if I'm extra lucky, I can actually have a can or two of tuna to mix with them. I see. Yeah. So is that it? You know what kind of condition I live in, so... Not just yet. He said, holding his finger up. What I don't know is why. I frowned. Huh? Why is it that you have to live this way? In here, eating ramen and tuna every night? I raised my eyebrow. This guy wasn't serious, was he? He was really asking me to tell him why I was dirt-ass poor? For fuck's sake! Taking a deep breath, clenching both my teeth and fists, I told him, Look, Obviously, I'm not the best with money and I don't have a job. Made some shit decisions financially, and I'm paying for them enough in my opinion without you throwing them in my fucking face, so... You feel horrible about yourself, don't you? I froze. What did you say? You feel like shit, don't you? I'm sorry, who the hell are you? You feel like you're a failure, don't you? My ears started to burn. In only milliseconds, I had every possible thought, every detail of ways to pound Mr. Men's warehouse here into a pile of blood and bones twitching on the floor. You want to change, don't you? <laughs> and I suppose you have some miracle... Mr. Messiah, huh? You gonna snap your fingers and make all my fucking money issues go away? Jesus H. Christ, you're worse than my goddamn therapist was. At least she knew when to quit while she was ahead. But I am still ahead. He replied nonchalantly, not noticing and or not caring about the fact that I was about to beat his ass. Oh, huh, I'll bet. I began to walk to the kitchen. Now, if you'll excuse me, I'd like to enjoy my pack of ramen for tonight in peace. I'd offer you some, but, you know, us slummers gotta hold on to what we got. So if you would please. I gestured to the front door. He stood in the middle of the living room, squinting his eyes at me. Well, what, you need a fucking invitation? Go! His smug-as-hell grin grew. Look, if I have to say it again, I'm going to call the fucking cops. Okay, okay. I'm sorry. 
again, just here to ask a couple questions and offer you some help. Yeah? Well, I don't need your help. Understood. Again. But, if you change your mind, he pulled out a card and what looked like some sort of small pill bottle. The opportunity will be there. He set the bottle and the card down on the floor and walked out without another word or glance in my direction. I stood for a minute, watching him walk down the street. Good riddance, jackass. When I was sure he was gone, I looked again at the pill bottle. Inside was what looked like a roll of bills and a few small pills. On the card, small red text read, In the event you want to change your mind and your life, take one of these pride pills. I've gifted you $1,000 in the hopes that you'll try the formula contained in the bottle. If you wish to pocket the money, that is fine. It is yours to play with, though, should you decide that you would like a substantially larger compensation. Then take the pills. There is a seven-day supply. Take no more than one per day and make sure you eat something right after, not before each use. At the end of the seven-day period, contact the number on the back of the card and directions will be given on how to proceed further with the trial. Sincerely, L. Rorickson, CEO of Vanity Wings, LLC. I couldn't help but chuckle at this when I first read it. I run this asshole out of my house after getting passively chastised about my living conditions, and I get to come out with a thousand dollars because of it. Fucking dumbass, I thought. Then the longer I stared at the pill bottle, the more curious I got about the so-called pride pills. Which sounds so weird, by the way. Seriously, who came up with that marketing campaign? Angie has made it easier than ever to connect with skilled professionals to get all your jobs projects done well. If you own a home, you know how much work it can take, whether it's everyday maintenance and repairs or making dream projects a reality. It can be hard just to know where to start, but now all you need to do is Angie that and find a skilled local pro who will deliver the quality and expertise you need. Angie has over 20 years of home service experience, and they've combined it with new tools to simplify the whole process. Bring them your project online or with the Angie app, answer a few questions, and Angie can handle the rest from start to finish or help you compare quotes from multiple pros and connect instantly, which means you can take care of just about any home project in just a few taps. Because when it comes to getting the most out of your home, you can do this when you Angie that. Download the free Angie mobile app today or visit Angie.com. That's A-N-G-I dot com. Another day is here and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? 
Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America NA, member FDSE. And so, I thought about taking one. Then, of course, common sense kicked in and told me to quit being an idiot and just take the money and flush the pills or something. Still, though, I couldn't really tell why at the time, but I couldn't shake the thought from my mind that there was something about these pills. Something that told me that maybe, just maybe, I shouldn't be so quick to get rid of them. I wondered if maybe they could somehow help me. I mean, like I said earlier, I have done this sort of thing before. What difference was this, right? Sure, I can hear you telling me now, but didn't you say that was also the same thing that screwed you in the first place? Answer, yes it was. And to answer your next question, yes. I realize I'm an idiot for basically willingly screwing myself over again. But keep two things in mind here. A, none of this. Me telling you what happened to me is for sympathy. I'm just looking to tell you what happened to spread a warning. And B, I didn't immediately rush headfirst into taking the pills. I started by asking around my neighborhood. The fucker did say he'd been giving them the same pitch he had me, so I figured maybe one of them might have had some sort of answer or result to show me regarding the pills. I thought if they did, and they turned out fine, then it might not be such a horrible idea to participate in another test-run trial. If nothing else, then to maybe score another payout. I started by going to my next-door neighbor's house and knocking on his door. Almost unsurprisingly, he didn't answer. People weren't too keen on answering the doors around here unexpectedly, if you know what I mean. After knocking for a good five to ten minutes, the motherfucker opened the door, looking about as annoyed and tired as he always did whenever I'd see him step out of his apartment for the singular occasion of grabbing the morning paper or checking his mailbox. The hell do you want? Hey, just, uh, I don't know. Thought I'd try and, you know, see how everything was going. He raised an eyebrow at me. I'm honestly surprised he didn't either slam the door in my face or bust his gut laughing. I cleared my throat and started again. Okay, look, bullshit aside, did you get a visit from that guy in the suit? Pretty boy wanted to stick his nose in my business. Yeah, he came by, but had my foot in his ass, too. I chuckled at this. Makes two of us, pal. Okay, so, he left you a bottle too, right? Yeah. Why? Well, cause I just got done running him off myself. And I got one too. You know what's in it, right? Yeah, some pills than the next three months' rent. <laughs> Look, you gonna start poking around my business too? I held up my hands. Hey, I'm just asking, okay? I just wanted to know if you'd taken them, if any funny shit was happening. No, I ain't taking them. I don't plan to either. <laughs> Stupid ass gave me a grand. And I'm gonna use it to keep the roof over my head for the next three months. He then thrust the bottle of pills into my chest. Here, matter of fact, you can have my supply, shit. Maybe it'll do you some good. 
maybe make you look less like a wad of bubblegum. He turned and slammed the door in my face. I just stood there, looking at the bottle he just gave me. Dick. All I wanted to ask was one fucking question. I turned around, considering whether or not it'd be worth it to try and ask anyone else. Then I thought about how likely it was that I'd just get the exact goddamn answer. Likely along with a black eye or something for my troubles as well. So no, instead, I went back to my house and was right back to thinking about what the hell I was going to do with all of these pills. I wanted to throw them out, of course. Like my neighbor said, it was at least three or four months worth of rent just for listening to a suit try to jack me off for twenty minutes. And then there's the chance for more. That's when I started free-falling into the rabbit hole. Yeah, the money I had was great and all, but what had happened when the money was gone? I'd be right back to where I was now, on the verge of being without a fucking roof over my head, and even then, I won't even have the goddamn money throughout to eat properly anyway. I'd have the apartment for another three months, but I'd still be stuck eating ramen every fucking night for those three months. I didn't want that. I wanted more. If there was a chance here that I could live comfortably, I wanted it. And you best believe I'd do what it took. That night, as per the instructions, I took one pill and immediately made a pack of ramen and tuna. I'll say this much. I'm glad the card emphasized to take only one and right before you ate something. That thing, as soon as it slithered down and hit the pit of my stomach, I had the munchies like you wouldn't believe. It was like it had burned a hole in my stomach, leaving it as this giant, gaping crater. It tasted delicious, too. It was sweet, but with just enough of a savory sort of tang so it wasn't alarmingly sweet. I devoured that pack of ramen and almost immediately went for another pack. I only had about another week's supply on my counter, and in the next ten minutes, I ended up burning through at least another five or six packets. I can't really tell how many packets of ramen I went through in total, but when I woke up, some five or six hours later, I saw that at least three-fourths of my stash was gone. Great job, fat ass. Now you're going to have to buy more of that with all the money you don't... I stopped then. I realized two things. The first was the whole, oh yeah, $1,000, must have forgot. As well as the added security of knowing that at the end of the week, I'd have significantly more after the trial was done. The second thing I noticed was when I looked at my reflection in the mirror at the end of the hall. I noticed just how much thinner I looked. Now, something to clear up. I wasn't exactly fat. Not like you might be thinking anyway. But I was kind of flabby in a few areas. Let me put it to you this way. Girls would have looked at me and rated me a 4 or 5 out of 10 at best. Hence why I had done all the shit that got me into the mess I was in in the first place. Now, though, I noticed how much my waistline had slimmed up. 
I wasn't as wide as I was before in the waist, and ironically enough, it was then that I noticed also how my pants were starting to feel a good bit looser than they had been. Now keep in mind, I hadn't been exercising, or even leaving my fucking house for that matter, and I'd just pigged out like crazy on ramen noodles. In other words, not at all a weight loss sort of circumstance, if you know what I mean. And yet, here I was, looking already ten, maybe fifteen pounds lighter. Hell, as a matter of fact, I even stepped on my old bathroom scale, which somehow still worked, don't ask how, and saw that, yeah, I was actually ten pounds lighter than I had been before. I was flabbergasted, to say the least. I couldn't believe it, despite not being able to disprove it. I wasn't a man of any kind of faith, but this was what I could only realize was a miracle. After all the money lost, all the impoverishment, all the fucking time spent breaking myself with chemicals and supplements and shit, it was finally all over. I found the miracle pill. I remember actually going out of my house, feeling something like a sense of actual confidence in myself. I could actually be proud of myself for once. Imagine that. A loser like me that could actually feel good about themselves after just one pill. I went outside and actually decided to take a giant whiff of the air like a goddamn hippie. <laughs> I mean, it was. It was absolutely euphoric. It wasn't just my euphoria that was sent through the roof either. I got hit with a libido I hadn't had in years. If even that, to be perfectly honest. With all the money I had now to boot, it meant I could actually go out and, you know, actually live a little. So I did. I went to the bar, though it was a little awkward going with no friends. Went to the movies. Shit, I even went to a fancy-as-hell five-star restaurant. That's where I first started noticing something. It had been prevalent before at all the other places, but it wasn't as apparent as it was in the restaurant. It was an all-you-can-eat buffet, and it had everything, ranging from your standard salad bar at the front to the dessert bar at the very end, with just about every kind of fancy cut of meat and other shit in between them. Like I said, I'd been eating all day at all the other places I'd mentioned before. And eating well, I might add. But I get in that restaurant, and it was like a hole had just been burned through my stomach. With the way it roared at me, I might as damn well not have eaten anything that day. So I get through the door, and it was everything I could do to not run buck wild tearing the place apart. Have you ever seen an alcoholic when he's at a party and he's trying to stay sober? The way he shakes like he's going to spontaneously explode? That's what it was like for me only with a lot more saliva in my mouth. I finally managed to make it through the line to the counter to pay for the table and food, but the instant I was able to break away from the counter, it was on. I bum-rushed the end of the line to the salad bar where I proceeded to devour the entire spread. I didn't wait in line, use the tongs, hell, I didn't even grab a damn bowl. I was on a feeding frenzy and there was no stopping now. 
the lettuce, the croutons, the other various condiments, all of them. I was shoveling it all in hand over fist. Oh, and it didn't stop there. Oh, no. It escalated at the entree sections, where I started snatching chunks out of every hunk of perfectly cooked, dripping, juicy hunk of meat in front of me. Mentally, I was nothing but a wild fucking animal, and from the way my mouth and chin dripped with blood from the deliciously tender prime ribs and ribeyes, I probably looked like one too. Oh, I couldn't stop. I didn't want to. I couldn't remember the last time, if really ever, that I'd ever tasted or eaten food this good before, and I couldn't get enough. No, seriously, I actually couldn't get enough to eat. No matter how much I shoveled in, no matter how big the bites were or what they were, to me, it was like I was eating only slices of bread. Eating all of that food felt no different to me than eating my meager portions of ramen every night. The baby backs, the quarter-pound steaks, the New York strips, the chicken, the fish, all of it. Gone in seconds, the instant I got to them. And I still had to have more. Obviously, none of this was going unnoticed. The others in line in front of me and behind me were starting to give me dirty looks. Not that I could have cared. It was only a matter of time, though, before I saw two of the restaurant staff approaching me, and without even thinking, I lunged at one of them, tackling them to the ground before raising up. What had possessed me to do this, I couldn't begin to know. But the thought crossed my mind then to... to, well, to try taking chunks out of him. Right before I could, I was hoisted off by the other before being thrown out the door like I was yesterday's garbage. I landed on my face, which caused my vision to explode into a giant cloud. It was at least ten minutes, though, before any of that even registered with me. When it did, it was almost another twenty minutes before I was in any condition to try and pick myself up off the ground. From there, walking was an absolute nightmare thanks to the excruciating pain shooting all throughout my body. What was worse? I was still hungry. About an hour or two later and I made it home. And what's the first thing I do? That's right. Pig the fuck out of the rest of the ramen I had, stashed somewhere in the house. All packs of them. Gone. I didn't even cook them either. Instead, I just chowed down on them like they were giant crackers. Once I was through those, I tore through my cabinets to devour ten, maybe fifteen cans of tuna I'd managed to ration that long up until that point. All of that, plus the frenzy from the restaurant, plus all the shit I ate earlier throughout the day. And it still wasn't enough. I wanted more. <sighs> And something to keep in mind. I know I keep saying this, but I couldn't feel any of it. When I looked in the mirror again, there wasn't so much as a fucking bulge in my stomach. Believe it or not, it was actually smaller. My stomach was shrinking. Using the remote part of my brain that was actually still reasonable, I decided to turn in for the night. 
and though I was still ravenous as a rabid dog, I did my best to shove it all down. It was a long night, I'll tell you that much, but eventually I managed to make it work, and I fell asleep. When I woke up the next morning, I felt normal again. My stomach felt normal again. Sort of. What I mean is that I felt full, satisfied, well fed. Something you know by now wasn't ever the case for me. The downside of this was that I had a real bitch of a headache. So the first thing I ended up doing was going to the drugstore across the street for some aspirin. I got back home and popped the pill, and lo and behold, that was a horrible idea. Not ten seconds after I popped the fucker, my vision starts warping like crazy. Imagine for a moment that you're on a roller coaster and you can't make anything stop spinning. Now imagine that happening for ten minutes straight while you're throwing up. Pleasant, ain't it? Anyway, after herking until my stomach felt like an empty mason jar again, you guessed it. I was fucking starving again. Real bad, too, in fact. I wasn't just starving. I was ravenous. I wanted to eat any and everything in sight. You might think that that's an exaggeration, but oh no. I spent at least five minutes trying to eat my damn couch, right after somehow managing to take a bite out of two of the little cork coasters I had, before realizing that these were things that weren't meant to be eaten. Even still, I had to eat something. Thing was, I didn't want just anything. I didn't want just any food. No, see, I'd already tried regular food at the restaurant, and none of it worked. I was still so hungry. I looked in the mirror again, and you know what? My stomach was now concave. I was malnourished, despite eating literally anything and everything. I was going to die if I didn't find something big, something satisfying and quick. I threw on my coat and began walking down the road, looking all around for a decent place to eat. I still had a good chunk of the money left, and I'd already paid up that month's rent, so I figured I should still be able to afford whatever it was that caught my eye. No, money wasn't the problem here, for once. This time, the problem was that there wasn't anything that was catching my eye. I mean, sure, there were restaurants left and right, but none that seemed to make me think they'd be able to satisfy my cravings. I wanted meat, tough yet tender, juicy and thick. I wanted meat that still had fur on it. I wanted it bloody. In fact, as I was walking, I was imagining myself taking a huge bite into a steak that was so rare, it was debatable as to whether or not the fucking thing was even cooked at all. No. In fact, I wanted it to be that way, raw, bleeding. Well, who said it even had to be dead first? I wanted it alive, 
I wanted it to struggle as I tore into it. My heart thundered in my chest with each step I took down the street, imagining me tearing into a live animal, not even caring about which animal, seeing the life leave its eyes while I stuffed my face like I was a five-year-old at a birthday party. The wind blew and the street was full of people, all walking along the sidewalk, some of them with pets, tiny, sweet little dogs, all huffing and yapping excitedly. I looked at them pass me by, and my mouth began to water. Most of them were small, shrimpy little things, which wouldn't have amounted to much more than a quick mouthful. But then there were the few which were nice and big, both in height and girth. Nice, juicy morsels, raw and bloody. My body shook violently. I was so hungry. I needed something. I needed meat. Raw, juicy meat that I could tear apart with my bare hands and teeth. Just, just one. Um, excuse me? I snapped back to reality, to find myself nose to nose with a golden retriever. Its tongue was lapped out, happily huffing in my face. I looked back up to find the owner looking alarmed at me. And exactly what on earth do you think you're doing? Um, I, um, uh, uh, I was lost. What was I doing again? My stomach growled, a reminder at me, and I looked back at the dog. Oh, um, I was just stopping to check out your pal here. I replied with an awkward-as-hell chuckle. Big on Haney. Yeah. He replied uneasily. Well, me and Sonny here need to get home soon, so if you wouldn't mind... He gestured with his hand for me to move away from the dog. I didn't move. I was starving and this beautiful pound of flesh was right here. No, 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 I couldn't let this go. I needed the meat. I had to have Sonny. Oh, uh, sure, but uh, you mind if I say hello and pet him first? I could tell from the look on the guy's face that he really just wanted me to go away, but I was persistent. Fine, but make it quick, he said, sighing and rolling his eyes. My arm slowly reached out to Sonny's nose, quivering violently, blissfully unaware of what was about to happen to him the second I laid hands on him. Hey there, sonny boy, I said in a goading, childlike voice. My hand was almost at his nose, my mouth flooded with saliva. It was there, perfect, raw, tender meat. It was all mine now. My hand stroked his nose and electricity jolted throughout my entire body. The moist texture of his nose sent shivers down my back. Shivers of anxiety. Of excitement. I imagined how squishy and chewy it would taste in my mouth. Then my heart was sent speeding. When Sonny took it upon himself to start playfully licking my hand. That was it for me. I couldn't take it anymore. 
Before I, the dog, or the owner could so much as blink, I snatched him by the scruff of his neck and took off sprinting down the road. Behind me, I could hear the guy shout, Hey, stop that guy, he's got my dog! I ignored this. I ignored this, the sounds of the other people coming after me, and I ignored Sonny's yaps at me as I sprinted further and further. Where I was even going, I don't know. I wasn't planning on going home, I'll tell you that. No, I was just running, trying to find a nice, quiet, secluded spot to stop and enjoy this pilfered meal. I don't know how long it was that I was running blindly down the street with the dog in my hands, but I will say that by the time I finally stopped in a darkened, isolated alley on the edge of town, the sun had already mostly gone down. I looked behind me to find that everyone else seemed to have given up the chase some time back as well. I sat down then and looked at Sonny, whether from his own excitement or because he'd yapped himself out. He was fast asleep. Good. That means there won't even be a struggle. I laid him down and unhinged my jaws. Just about to pounce. When I stopped. What the hell was going on? I asked myself. What the hell was I doing here? Why was I so sweaty, dirty, and out here in the dark sitting with a random dog in the alleyway? What the fuck was wrong with me? My stomach roared at me again. My entire lower stomach felt like jagged shards of glass and red-hot needles were being driven repeatedly into it. I doubled over. I couldn't even stand up anymore. I looked up at the dog. The gigantic, juicy, tender dog. It was right there. I was so hungry. And the solution was right there, fast asleep. He wouldn't even feel anything. No. I looked away from Sonny again. I couldn't do it. Sonny was a sweet little dog. Why does he have to die just because of my voracious appetite? It wasn't his fault. It wasn't his fault. But God, I was so... Hungry. In the end, all I'm going to say to both the dog and the owner, I'm so, so sorry. I'm a monster, and I hope that he's in some form of paradise now. Wherever that is for dogs. When I finally finished. You know, my stomach roared again. Even after what I'd just done. Even after Sonny. I still couldn't satisfy my hunger. I was still so goddamn hungry. I wanted more. I wanted bigger even bigger than Sonny. I wanted more fresh meat, fresh blood. I couldn't help it. I, I was out of control completely now. 
pain erupted again from my stomach and I clutched it, doubling over and writhing on the ground next to what was left of poor Sonny. I howled and cried, both from pain and grief. I wasn't even a person now. I was a fucking animal, a wild fucking animal that deserved nothing more than to get put down like this one. The worst part, no matter how bad I wanted to stop, I couldn't. I couldn't make any of it end. I couldn't stop being so damn hungry. I thought for a moment that if I could hold out long enough, that I might be able to black out or, hell, even keel over at this point. But no. Eventually the pain became too much and I resorted to the only other supply of meat I knew I still had on me. My own bare flesh. I started by biting my hands, sinking my teeth as far as they'd go before ripping them out of my mouth, tearing away more and more of it with each mouthful. The pain was excruciating, believe me, but the pain of hunger was far worse. I didn't stop there, either. I went down the length of my arms, then started tearing bits from my legs. By the time a roving police car, likely called by the owner of Sonny or anyone else from the crowd chasing me, found me. I had to have looked like something out of Night of the Living Dead. With all the tattered flesh and severed tendons hanging out of me. And I wasn't stopping. The immediate aftermath is a blur. I've been told that they had to tase me several times before they could restrain me. I don't remember any of it, though, obviously. How I could manage to be so defensive in such a state. No, I just remember waking up in a hospital bed with bandages covering three-fourths of my whole body and tubes going into several places. Like before, I woke up with an awful headache and I couldn't move a single muscle. The sharp pain from before also returned, only now the adrenaline wasn't there to mute it out. I've spent the last... Three, four, maybe five days here in the hospital. It was only last night that I managed to start sort of moving my fingers again. I don't feel hungry anymore. For anything. So I guess that's one, sort of, silver lining from all of this. On the other hand, I'm being told by the doctors that thanks to the self-inflicted lacerations of my skin and muscle tissues, it's likely I'll end up having to have them amputated. When they did a tox screening on me, they found, of course, the chemicals of the pride pills, which comprised of a laundry list of chemicals that, honestly, I didn't care to remember. Nor were they ones I'd even heard of before. When they asked me about it, I told them about L. Rorickson and Vanity Wings, LLC, both of which earned me a confused look from both the doctors and the detectives who questioned me about the situation. 
both with Sonny and the restaurant before. I told him that I wasn't the only one he'd visited either, that he'd made the same offer, gave the same stuff to everyone else in my neighborhood as well. When they searched for the company online, however, you guessed it. Zilch Zero. I told him that the card he gave me was in my apartment as well, and that the same card was with the pill supply he'd given to the others. I was told they'd be looking into that before they left. That was two days ago, and I've not heard anything from it since. I'm ending this here because I'm going to be undergoing some sort of operation here in an hour. I'm going to post this, and I'm going to beg you all, please, for the love of fucking God, don't ever try any kind of experimental drug, no matter how much money is thrown at you for it, it's not worth it. I hope you enjoyed Swallowing Pride, as written by Corpse Child and voiced as well as produced by Creepy Face. Creatures of the Night know this name well because they respect or fear him. That name is Creepy Face. While he isn't here at Chilling Tales or on his YouTube channel, he reads bedtime stories to Whispers in the Void, and not only is he a dweller in the dark, but anything terrifying to him is considered comfort. Our second tale of the evening comes to us from author Micah Edwards and is performed by Justin Reynolds. In it, we meet a couple of monster hunters who get more than they bargain for. Now, without further ado, I present to you Kill the Curdler. simple. Someone had done their best with it, but their best wasn't very good. Monster Hunters Wanted. Read the boldly misspelled words at the top. A low that was a drawing straight out of a child's imagination. It showed a hunched creature with big staring eyes and a drooling mouth. It had pointy ears and spines running down its back. 
clutched in his huge claws was something that was probably supposed to be a cow, judging by the horns. Other lumps at its feet suggested that it killed more than one. The large print beneath the picture was the interesting part. $300 reward. What do you figure, Walt? Asked Joe. The two men were among the dozens who had gathered around when the stranger began nailing copies of the sign to post all around the trade station. When asked, he said only that his town, Evota Falls, was desperate to find whatever was killing their cattle, and that proof of the money would be shown to any would-be hunters who arrived. Hmm. 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 Said Walt, drawing the syllable out like stretching taffy. Seems fairly suspect to my mind. Couple of days out there by train just to find out that they're planning to short you on the payment. <laughs> like as not. Maybe splitting it between folks. Maybe charging for room and board. Maybe flat out paying less than the poster says. Another couple of days back still out of your own pocket and you've lost a week's worth of work for nothing. But the reward! That's a year's wages, Walt. You're talking about losing a week, but this is more than 50 weeks pay. For what? A couple of train rides? One sleepless night and one single bullet. Joe eyed his friend slightly. Maybe a few more if you've been lying about how good you are. I don't lie, said Walt. You've seen me shoot. <laughs> can, sure. Anybody can shoot a can. You're telling me your hand would be just as steady staring down that thing. Joe tapped the picture. If it's there, I can shoot it. I don't miss what I set my eye to. Come on, Walt. Let's go check it out. I got the money for the train on me. If it don't pan out, you don't have to pay me back. <laughs> so we're a team on this, huh? You know they're splitting the money between us if we're a team. That's half of your 50 weeks gone right there. Despite Walt's words, Joe could hear from his friend's tone that he had already won. Walt wanted to go investigate this as much as he did. Crap all you want. I'm buying the tickets unless you're stopping me. Throw your money away. However suits your fancy, Walt told him. Joe grinned and scampered off to the ticket booth. Walt watched him go then tore the poster from the wooden pole. Hey, I was reading that. Complained another man. You already read what you need to read. Walt told him. If you're coming, go buy a ticket like my full friend over there. I'm taking this with me to prove when I get there that they offered a bounty of 300. I won't have them cheating me by claiming maybe I misremembered. For all of Walt's complaining, he was intrigued. He'd always had a fondness for the stories of monsters growing up. He had been disappointed as an adult to learn that they were nothing but tall tales. Deep in his heart, he still harbored hope that someday he would discover something truly unknown and bizarre. The sort of thing others had believed existed only in fiction. He knew the likelihood of this was small, but this poster appealed to that hidden part of him. Logically, it was certainly going to be a waste of their time and Joe's train tickets. And yet... What if it wasn't? What if there really was something strange and new in Novoto Falls? Walt shrugged his knapsack higher on his shoulders and looked over to where Joe was, waving two paper tickets at him from the booth. 
He had nothing in particular tying him to this town anyway. He folded the poster into a small square, tucked it into his pocket, and sauntered off to catch a train with his excitable friend. The train ride was hot, loud and uncomfortable, but soon enough, Joe and Walt found themselves standing on a ramshackle wooden platform, declaring itself to be the Ivota Falls train depot. A half dozen other men disembarked along with them, and the whole group exchanged wary glances as they took in their surroundings. Not much here, said Walt to the world in general. A murmur of assent arose from the men around him. <laughs> Look, there's a welcome sign, said Joe running forward to read it. Welcome monster hunters. Ask for Mayor Ackman at the boarding house. Dude, let's go. Don't suppose you have any idea where the boarding house is, do you? Asked Walt as they left the station. Joe's eagerness had positioned him as the leader, and the rest of the group trailed behind him. Can't be so hard to find. Bet it's that big house over there. Joe pointed across the strip of dirt that could loosely be called a street to a multi-story wooden building. It looked to be new construction and relatively freshly painted, and it was easily three times the size of any other building in the tiny town. It had better be, said Walt as it's the only place around here likely to fit us all in at once. Otherwise, we're gonna be monster hunting in shifts. The man who greeted them at the door was tall, rangy, and looked more like a cattle rustler than a politician. But he introduced himself as Mayor Ackerman and invited the motley group into the house. Looks like you folks are our last batch of the day, said the mayor. So I'll give you all the rundown that the others got, then we'll get you sorted. First of all, the question that's on all of your minds. Yes, the money's good. Show them, Delia. An unsmiling woman across the room opened up a leather satchel that was stuffed with coins and paper notes. You can count it if you like, said the mayor. But it's 300, sure enough. We all dug deep to pitch in, but it'll be well worth it if you can get rid of whatever's been killing off our livestock. Second, I'm gonna give you the bad news. There's eight of you here, and that many again upstairs, and that money's only going to one of you. The one that brings back the corpse of the curdler walks out with the bag. The rest of you get a hearty breakfast and a fond farewell at the station. It ain't fair, but it's how it is. Walt nudged Joe. Told ya. Shh, Joe said. His eyes were fixed on the leather satchel like he was trying to count the coins from where he stood. Walt rolled his eyes and turned his attention back to the mayor. So grab seats and the food will be out shortly. Delia's made up a batch of beef stew to let you know what we're defending out here. And I think you'll agree it's something special. Once you've all ate, we'll get you guys and you can head out to find it. Curdler's never been spotted before midnight, so there's no rush. But I know some of you are gonna wanna scope out a few areas. Probably settle yourself in before the thing comes sniffing around. Delia claimed a large brass bell. And the other bounty hunters the mayor had mentioned began to make their way downstairs. The dining room seated the entire crowd, but space was at a premium, and Delia had to elbow more than one man out of her path as she made her way through with the bowls of soup.
Walt cast an eye over the group as he waited for his food to arrive. He judged that he was the oldest of them all at nearly 30. Joe was probably the youngest. He swore he was 22, but Walt would have been surprised if he had seen his 18th birthday. The rest were somewhere in the middle, and their attitudes ran the gamut from excited anticipation to aloof detachment. All of them carried their guns casually, and the holster showed signs of regular use. None of them were strangers to violence. Joe, of course, was the most excitable of them all. What did he call it? The curdler? Do you think it looks like the poster? <laughs> Maya said we're getting a guide, Joe. Ask him your questions instead of bothering me when you know I don't know. Where should we go to shoot it? We gonna go hide out in a barn and wait? <sighs> we'll ask the guide, Joe. And we'll do it away from these gentlemen so we don't all end up in the same place. Maybe a small town, but I'm sure that there's more than enough territory for 16 men to find their own space. And not have to worry about who shot the beast first. Joe looked shamefaced. Sorry, Walt. Soup's here. Put your mouth to good use instead of flapping your gums. They ate in relative silence aside from the slurps and the scraping of spoons on bowls. The mayor was right. The beef stew really was something special. It was rich and tangy with a flavor Walt couldn't place. Evoda Falls was right to be proud of their cattle. He flagged Delia down to ask for a second bowl. If the soup might be his only payment for coming out here, Walt was going to make the most of it. After dinner, the mayor clapped his hands to get their attention. All right, we've gathered up a bunch of folks who've seen the curdler. They're waiting for you outside, so file out and we'll get you paired up. The group outside was mainly made up of young women. To Walt's surprise, there were a couple of boys in their teens and a few kids as well. But 90% of the town's guys were female. Hey, all right, whispered Joe. I'm not gonna mind sitting up all night with, hey, what are you doing? Walt had crossed directly to one of the teen boys and clasped his shoulder. What's your name? Samuel, and this is my brother Roscoe. The teen said, indicating a nearby boy of perhaps 10. Perfect, two guides for the two of us. I'm Walt. And this is my friend, Joe. What'd you pick him for? Asked Joe. Because we're supposed to be keeping our eyes out for a monster. And you showed me exactly where your eyes are going to be if I let you choose the guide. Quit sulking and let's move. We got our guide, so now's your time to ask those questions. Fine. Said Joe, falling in with the small group as they moved away from the boarding house. So what can you tell us about this, Curdler? Oh, it's huge. Roscoe popped up. I've seen it lurking off at the edges of the fields. It can step right over the fence. Walt looked at Samuel skeptically, but Samuel was nodding along with his brother. Moves on all fours a lot of the time, but it can rear up on two when it wants to. Does that mainly right before it feeds. Scariest thing I've ever seen. Just this dark shadow looming over a cow with two big eyes way up at the top reflecting back at you out of the night. He shuddered.
It's nothing I ever want to see again. No offense, mister, but I'm hoping we're not the ones who find it tonight. Joe snorted. Some gods you picked. <laughs> Don't worry, Walt said, ignoring him. I promise you that if we see it tonight, it'll be the last time you ever have to see it. Or hear it. Added Roscoe. Hmm, what's it sound like? When it's moving, nothing at all. It's quiet as a ghost most of the time, but it can scream like... Roscoe inhaled deeply. Don't! Said Samuel quickly, putting his hand over his brother's mouth. All right, all right. Roscoe muttered, shoving Samuel's hand away. Anyway, it'll freeze your blood solid to hear it. It does that to stop the bulls fighting back. It stops them dead in their tracks. Might even kill them, that's how bad it is. It'll do the same to you if you're not careful. Samuel said to Walt and Joe. Lock your finger right there on the trigger. Scare you so bad you can't move. <laughs> I think I'll be okay, said Walt. Where was it seen the last two times? Just point the general direction. The two boys pointed, settling on the same direction after a moment. That was two nights ago. And then last night, it was at the neighbor's ranch out this way. It shows up every night? Huh. And no one's been able to stop it. We didn't put together that reward money for fun, said Samuel. I told you. It curdles your blood there right in your body. There's no thought in your head but staying perfectly still so it don't notice you anymore. Once you hear that scream, you'll understand. Then I guess we'd better shoot it before it opens its mouth, said Joe. Hey, Walt, you think we're gonna get this thing? We might, if we're smart. Come on, let's go get set up. If it's been moving this way for the last two nights, might just be that it'll keep going that way. Take us to the closest field in that direction, Samuel. With the boys offering direction, Walt and Joe found a low hummock overlook at the prairie. A few scrawny cows wandered around, chewing desolately at the sparse grass. Not much of a herd, Joe remarked. The curdler's been feeding for some time, said Samuel. Surprised you can keep cows out here even without something eating them, Walt said. That grass is mighty thin, and there's been no water source that I've seen neither. We've got wells, said Samuel. There's enough to keep things alive out here if you're willing to do the work. The late evening slid away into the night. The stars and moon cast everything in a dim silvery veil. The two men and their guides waited patiently flattened on their stomachs on the small hilltop. Conversation died out. Walt was content to wait in silence, and Joe thankfully followed his lead. Roscoe was antsy though, squirming from place to place, and Samuel's patience seemed a little better. Eventually, Roscoe fell asleep. For a moment, Walt thought they might finally have stillness, and then Samuel rose to his feet and stretched. It began only to be cut off by a sharp sibilance from Walt. Shh. Get back down. A shadow moved beyond the cows, 
Creeping along in the silhouette of the fence, Walt leveled his gun, taking careful aim. Samuel cried fear in his eyes. He dropped to his knees, reaching for the gun, but Walt had already fired. Roscoe startled awake at the gunshot. Out by the fence line, a figure reared up briefly and dropped. Roscoe screamed and scrambled down the hill towards shouting. What? Get your hands off my gun, boy! Walt's feeling of satisfaction vanished as Samuel snatched at the gun, trying to wrest it away from him. Drop it! What's he doing, Walt? Shouted Joe. Walt slugged Samuel, sending him reeling. What's gotten into you? Suddenly, an unearthly howl went up. A loud, cacophonous shriek that seemed to just keep gaining volume as it went along. It came not from only one location, but from everywhere ringing the town. How many of them are there, Walt? Joe's eyes were wide and frightened. A gunshot rang out and then another. I don't know. Something's... Ah! Walt staggered toward Joe, hands clutching his side. In the moonlight, the gushing blood looked black. Behind him stood Samuel with a knife. His expression was feral as he darted in for another stab. One more gunshot sounded as Walt fired again. Samuel crumpled to the ground with a hole in his chest. His eyes were blank and empty before he hit the dirt. It's a setup, Joe. Walt wheezed. Come on! Uh, we're getting out of here! Joe tried to lift his friend, but Walt pushed him away. No, we ain't. <clears throat> you still are, though. Run! Stay low! Walt swallowed painfully. I'll watch you from here as long as I can. I may be going, but I ain't gone yet. When I set my eye to, I don't miss. Joe started to say something, then stopped. He nodded to Walt and took off down the hill in the crowd's run. Slumped on the hillside, Walt steadied his arm on the ground ahead of him and focused along the barrel of his gun. A dark figure slipped from the night and pursued Joe for several steps. But Walt's gun spoke once the shape tumbled to the ground in an untidy dangle of the limbs. Walt's side burned. The recoil had kicked the gun from his limp hand. He had not seen his target fall, but he knew he had not missed. What I set my eye to, he whispered. His head slumped forward. His eyes saw nothing but darkness. Joe heard the gunshot and the thump of a falling body. He redoubled his efforts, willing his feet to run faster. He fled with no thought of where he was going, only that he needed to escape. Abruptly, Joe spotted another shape running toward him. He grabbed for his gun before he realized that not only was it not a monster, it was one of the young women from the town. He slowed to wait for her. Help me! Help! She shouted as she ran toward him. Her hair was in disarray and her clothes were spattered with blood. They're dead. They're all dead. She threw herself at him in a violent embrace, wrapping her arms around his back and burying her head against his shoulder. 
Joe held her to him. Who's dead? Everyone. She said softly, extricating herself from his grasp as he collapsed. Everyone who's supposed to be. The mood back in town was somber. The pile of corpses in front of the boarding house contained not just 16 monster hunters, but also five of their own. Roscoe was weeping on the porch while Delia tried to comfort him. <laughs> they got my paw. He sobbed. And Samuel, too. If his paw hadn't screwed up, none of this would have happened, muttered one man. That first shot put them all in their gun. Made this ten times as hot as it needed to be. Shut your mouth, Francis, said Mayor Ackerman. That's nothing the boy needs to hear right now. Let's get these bodies to the smokehouse and get this mess cleaned up. We'll have more coming in on the early train. <laughs> like as not. What about Samuel and Earl and them? Francis asked, jerking his head at the bodies. Meets meat, said the mayor. Put them all in. No sense letting any of it go to waste. <laughs> Francis set his mouth in a thin line but nodded. It could get tough feeding a family out here, or even the cows struggled to find enough grass to graze. But there was always enough to keep things alive, if you're willing to do the work. Put them all in. No sense letting any of it go to waste. <laughs> Hi.
I hope you enjoyed Kill the Curdler, as written by Micah Edwards and is performed and produced by Justin Reynolds. Justin Reynolds has an intense adoration for music. He loves all the artistic and creative endeavors of life, from the beautiful to the ugly. Micah Edwards' works run the gamut from superhero noir, as seen in the Experiment series, to nonfiction conversational retellings of the Bible. He has rewritten horror stories for children and fairy tales for adults. On that note, be sure to check out the other shows we offer on our network. We have Horror Hill, airing Thursdays for your hardcore, more brutal offerings. Drew Blood's Dark Tales airs Fridays, featuring some southern down-home horror. Fear from the Heartland airs Wednesdays. And now, our weekly descent into the depths has just about come to a close. But before we go, I'd like to take a moment to thank you for joining us for tonight and remind you to take a moment to stop by our iTunes page and leave Chilling Tales for Dark Nights a five-star review and a kind word. And follow us on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram if you haven't already. And of course, subscribe to us on YouTube, where you can find an archive of our work going back to 2012. And consider signing up as a patron at our website, ChillingTalesForDarkNights.com, to show your support and get all of our content ad-free. I'm your host of the evening, Steve Taylor, and it's been a pleasure. Tune in again next week when we once again turn off the lights and turn on the dark. Sweet dreams, listener. Sweet dreams. <laughs> Chilling Tales for Dark Nights. Angie has made it easier than ever to connect with skilled professionals to get all your jobs projects done well. If you own a home, you know how much work it can take. Whether it's everyday maintenance and repairs, or making dream projects a reality. It can be hard just to know where to start, but now all you need to do is Angie that and find a skilled local pro who will deliver the quality and expertise you need. Angie has over 20 years of home service experience, and they've combined it with new tools to simplify the whole process. Bring them your project online or with the Angie app, answer a few questions, and Angie can handle the rest from start to finish or help you compare quotes from multiple pros and connect instantly, which means you can take care of just about any home project in just a few taps. Because when it comes to getting the most out of your home, you can do this when you Angie that. Download the free Angie mobile app today or visit Angie.com. That's A-N-G-I dot com.